Good morning. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? Today we're reading from Luke 1, verse 26 through 33. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word delivered by your glorious angel today. We hear of Mary being called to go far out of her comfort zone and into uncharted waters in the hope of glorifying your name and fulfilling your purpose for her life. Like Mary, let us also recognize that we all serve a purpose in this life. Today, help us to create the necessary silence to hear your call. In his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you so much, Ellen. <clears throat> Y'all, it's Thanksgiving week, right? Like, that's real. It happened. Um, and uh, somehow, this year, it happens really, really late in the year, yet I feel like it snuck up on me. Um, I don't know if anybody else has that, that sense. Uh, I've, I've been waiting with great anticipation, and now it's here, and I feel like school just started last week. Yet the holiday season is upon us. In fact, it's in full swing. Um, Not only ready to embrace us, but ready to swallow us whole. Uh, As we are making preparations for this holiday season, something I want you all to keep in mind, go ahead and put on your calendar. This year, as every year, once again, we will be having our annual Christmas Eve service at 11 p.m., on Christmas Eve, which this year falls on December 24th. If you have ever had the overwhelming urge to ring in Christmas morning at midnight by candlelight while surrounded by 75 or 100 of your closest friends singing Silent Night, Do I have a deal for you? It is truly one of my favorite hours of the entire year. I want to go ahead and get that out there so as the holidays start to swallow us, you can keep that in mind. Keep yourself centered and focused. Now, as we enter into this season, when you see me on the streets, when you see me in the hallways, um, you might hear me greet you with the words, Happy Holidays, as opposed to Merry Christmas. This is an old habit of mine. Um, I've had some conversations with people that that it can be kind of frustrating, so so I want to go ahead and address it now. Uh, First of all, I I tend to default to happy holidays during this time of year 
frankly, because I want to respect the fact that there are many different people of many different faiths that celebrate many different things during this time of year. They are all celebrating. Much more important than that to me personally is in my mind, I need to create a stark separation between Christmas, the birth of my Savior, and the merriment of the holidays. The season that includes parties and music and food and gifts, all of which I love. Do not hear me say that I don't. It's why I say happy holidays, because they are happy for me. But I also do not want two mothers tackling each other in the aisles of Walmart to get the last Cabbage Patch doll to be associated with the birth of God's Son. So in my mind, I make that separation. You see, in my mind, I I desperately try to remember that Christmas is different. Christmas is different from all of the things we're going to be doing over the next few weeks. We We have the incredible gift of God's all-sufficient, holy word, so that as we read the Christmas story, as we are reminded of the incredible words that Ellen read for us this morning, we do so recognizing that it is the turning point in a story that we already know how it ends. We know how this story unfolds. It is not unlike watching a documentary on World War II on the History Channel, back when the History Channel showed documentaries about actual history. Um, and, and, you, and you watch that documentary powerful and amazed by the events with the knowledge of the great victory that was won. And in that scenario... The story of the birth of Christ is D-Day. The story of the birth of Christ is the day the tides turned. The war was not over, but on that day the enemy knew the victory had already been won. It is with that that we read the words of Luke in chapter 1. It's a story you have heard time and time again. We're introduced to Mary. Now, most of you are probably aware, you've probably heard that Mary was between 12 and 14 years old. By modern standards, she was a baby, a middle schooler, barely into her teens. In the CSB version that Ellen read for us this morning, it says that Mary was a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph. That word engaged, because it has meaning today, doesn't quite carry the weight that it would have culturally 2,000 years ago. Many of you may have versions that say she was, uh, she was betrothed to Joseph. That, that, that word betrothed, it, it means that, that they were all but married. There had already been a ceremony They had already been designated as life partners. There was a year-long period of engagement or betrothal. 
before they actually lived together, before they consummated that relationship. But for all intent and purposes, Mary was already engaged, already married, excuse me, to Joseph. They were both from this town called Nazareth. Now, this is a backwater, nothing town. Population not measured in thousands, but measured in dozens. It did not have much of a reputation. It had no reputation for good. As a matter of fact, in in the Gospel of John, the first chapter of John, as Jesus is beginning his ministry and he's calling his disciples, he's called Philip to follow him. Philip immediately runs back and tells Nathaniel, we found him. We've found the one, the Messiah, the one that Moses promised. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And in verse 46 of John chapter 1, Nathaniel's response is, bro, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It is in that tiny little backwater town that Mary and Joseph grew up almost certainly knowing each other since birth, knowing they would be promised to be married, knowing they would spend their lives together. Mary knew exactly what her life would look like because she saw it in her parents and their parents before her. And it's into that security that Gabriel breaks one day out of nowhere with these words. Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. How's that for an opening line? Now it says, as Mary is just kind of sitting around, 13 years old, minding their own business, and suddenly an angel of the Lord appears and says, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Mary is deeply troubled because she did not know what type of greeting this was. If I were in her scenario, certainly as a 13-year-old when I was in the seventh grade, deeply troubled, maybe two words you could have used to describe my reaction. They wouldn't quite be strong enough to portray my true emotions at the time. It is completely understandable that out of nowhere as this angel appears, and greets Mary, she would be deeply troubled. But, but those words, the translation is a little bit off. If you were to literally translate those words, deeply troubled, they would literally translate to thoroughly stirred up and confused. It was actually a term that was used a lot in the world of accounting. That, that meant kind of to, to take a look at the numbers that weren't fitting together. It just doesn't add up. Mary hears the angel and nothing adds up. And the angel, Gabriel, sees her head start to spin and immediately gives those great angel words of assurance. Don't be afraid. We see it time and time again as the scriptures uh, talk of angels appearing. Gabriel says, Mary, it's okay. It's okay. Don't be afraid. For you have found favor with God. Now Mary, the mother of Jesus, this child in Luke chapter 1, she is portrayed throughout the scripture as a woman of great faith, deeply thoughtful, a woman of obedience. 
She was pious. She was dedicated. She was worshipful. It is incredibly important to recognize that none of these qualities are offered by the scriptures as the reason God chose her. God was not waiting on a girl to finally be good enough to bear his child. At no point in the scripture does it say, because Mary was obedient, faithful, worshipful, dedicated, pious, thoughtful, God chose her. In fact, those words, you have found favor, God has found favor with you. You're a woman of great favor. Originally, that's, that's the word charis. It means unmerited grace. In that moment, as Mary sees the angel, hears the words, is deeply troubled, is confused, is thoroughly stirred up, she's trying to work it out, Gabriel says, Mary, it's okay. Don't be afraid. You have received unmerited grace from the God of the universe. It is that grace that eliminates fear. And it's at that moment that the angel of the Lord tells Mary what's about to happen. Read with me starting in verse 31. Now listen, Gabriel says, don't be afraid. You've received unmerited grace from the God of the universe. Now that we've established that, listen up. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You'll name him Jesus. Now, now remember, 2,000 years ago, names carried great weight. They had great meaning. Jesus, it means, it means savior or deliverer. Mary, you will conceive and bear a son. He will be the Savior. He will be the Deliverer. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Mary, hear this. You'll conceive and give birth to a son. You'll name him Jesus. He will be great. He will be the son of God. God will give him the throne of David and his kingdom will never end. Mary, a good Jewish girl from Nazareth, knew exactly what those words Meant. Because you see, these words are the most important, the greatest, and most anticipated prophecy in the Jewish tradition. This is the messianic prophecy. If you want to put your finger there in Luke chapter 1 and flip back to Isaiah, the ninth chapter. If you don't have a Bible in front of you today, I think the words are going to be on the screen behind me. Isaiah the prophet. 
starting in chapter 9, verse 6, says this. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast. And its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. Gabriel breaks into that moment into Mary's life and says, Mary, You will have a child and he will be the Messiah, the chosen one, the Savior, the one you have been waiting on. Over the next few weeks, approximately a thousand times, as you drive around in your car and you listen to Christmas music, you will hear that song, Mary Did You Know? Over the next few weeks, every time you hear that song, I want you to think this. Yes, she knew. The angel told her. Mary, in that moment, knew exactly the claims this angel was making. The claims for which Gabriel was making for this unborn child were staggering. They were staggering for Mary. They would have been staggering to the Jewish readers of Luke's gospel. Because they would have immediately recognized Luke is saying this man Jesus is the one we have been waiting on. The one that was promised to us. This baby will grow to be the greatest ruler in the history of Israel and the greatest ruler in the history of mankind. The Son of God, God in the flesh. That theological concept, it's known as incarnation. The idea that God himself came down from on high, took on humanity... Jesus, born of Mary, 100% human, and at the same time, 100% God. Think about that for a second. Let that sink in for just a moment. Tim Keller once wrote that some have argued The supreme miracle of Christianity is not the resurrection of Christ from the dead, but the incarnation. The beginningless, omnipotent creator of the universe took on a human nature without the loss of deity. So that Jesus, the son of Joseph of Nazareth, was both fully divine and fully human. Of all things that Christianity proclaims, this is the most staggering. Keller goes on to call the incarnation the intellectual watershed of the Christian faith. It's that turning point, that foundation, that understanding upon which everything else rests. You see, we all know many people, maybe some of you in this room, that have an incredibly difficult time believing in miracles. Yeah, I believe in Jesus, but 
it's really hard to believe in the whole walking on water thing. I mean, let's be real. It is so hard for me to believe that Jesus fed 5,000 people with a couple of fish and some bread. Or, Or that he actually raised people from the dead. That he himself rose from the dead. The idea that the death of one man could pay for the sins of billions is absurd and impossible. J.I. Packer wrote that it is from misbelief or at least inadequate belief about the incarnation that difficulties at other points in the gospel story usually spring. But once the incarnation is grasped as a reality, these other difficulties usually dissolve. In other words, if there is a God, spoiler, there is, and if he became human, why would it be so hard to believe that he would perform miracles? If Jesus is God, why would it be so hard to believe that he could pay for the sins of the world? If Jesus is God, why would it be so hard to believe that he himself could rise from the dead? This moment, that Christ child is the watershed moment. It is the moment in which God took on human flesh the incarnation. Fully man, fully God. And Gabriel, echoing the prophecy of Isaiah, says his kingdom will have no end. Do we arrive at this place this morning half in awe of that as we should be? Think about what that means. What it means is baby Jesus, helpless, cooing in the hay, was king of the universe forever he will be king of the universe and it also means that right now he is alive and ruling over his kingdom at 11:15 on Sunday morning November the 24th 2019 Jesus is King. As Mary heard these words, as she received these words, as she began to process this information, her response is spectacular. Look back with me at Luke chapter 1. Let's read these next few verses, starting in verse 34. Immediately after Gabriel says, You will have a son, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. 
Mary asks the angel, verse 34, how can this be since I've not had sexual relations with a man? Mary, Mary is not stupid. Sometimes we think that people that lived 2,000 years ago are somehow less intelligent than we are today. That could not be further from the truth. Mary at 12 years old had way more knowledge of the way the world worked than any of us had when we were 12 years old. She recognized there are some steps that haven't quite happened. The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your will. The angel's message, Gabriel's message, meant a lot of things. It was a message that changed the world. Good news of great tidings, right? It also meant the potential destruction of everything this child Mary thought she had. Betrothed to Joseph, she absolutely knew what he had the right to do and probably would do once he found out she was pregnant. The life she was promised, the life she would have, would be no more. She knew what the life of a single mother in Nazareth 2,000 years ago looked like, and it wasn't pretty. Everything she had had the potential to be destroyed by this news. And how does she respond? Well, initially she had some questions. She knew how things worked. She was a bit confused. And hear me say this this morning. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to not quite get it. But as Mary asked the questions, she didn't try to change the plan. She didn't tell God, okay, all right, Gabriel, could you run back and, and tell God, I know what he's going for here. I get the idea, couple of adjustments, we can tweak this plan a little bit. No, how does she respond? I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. Every time I read Mary's response to Gabriel, every time I think 
about the natural fear that she would have had in that moment, the immediate understanding of what her future might look like. And I hear her tell Gabriel, I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. I am always reminded of her son's words. 33 years later, as he knelt in the garden, so full of anxiety that he was sweating blood, knowing the physical pain that was about to befall him, begging his father, if there is any other way, But what? But not my will, your will be done. How often do we approach the throne of the God of the universe saying these words God, you are my servant. May it be done according to my word. God, you can do everything. And so here are the things that I need you to do. This season, as we are reminded of that day that Gabriel came to this child and told her, you will bear a son. I want to be reminded of her words, Lord, I am your servant. May it be done to me according to your word. Christmas is not about toys and presents and songs and lights, parties and food. All of you know that. This is not original thought. It's also not about a sweet, helpless baby in a manger. Christmas is about the arrival of hope through the declaration of war. The storming of the beaches that marked the beginning of the end for the enemy. Next week begins Advent season. Five services will light candles. We'll pray. Each candle having a different meaning and a different symbol. And over time, Advent has become um, a time of sentimentality. A time of tradition, kind of hoping that it puts us in the right mindset for the season. That was not its original design. Originally, Advent was designed not only to remember the arrival of the Christ child, but to stir up a longing for his return. 
This season, this year, we will reclaim Advent. We will allow the second coming of the king of the universe to reshape our hearts and our minds. We will stand on the incarnation. We will not simply marvel and melt over a newborn baby laying in a cradle. We will worship and adore and glorify Jesus for who he is. The ultimate, eternal, and sovereign king. Would you pray with me? Lord, remind us, not only today, but every day, of the true gift of your Son. Recognition that though we desperately tried to reach you, you came to us instead. And that on that day, in that stable, victory was won. As Mary learned of Jesus, so might we all. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.